Welcome in, boys and girls. Another fine week uh, Alabama politics this week. I am Josh Moon. That is. I'm David Person, and I'm and I'm pretty angry this morning. <laughs> I'm just gonna I just want to start off. I'm just gonna set the tone for my my side of the discussion right now. I'm pretty freaking pissed this morning. Well, let me uh, let me just go ahead and uh, before before we get to to David's anger, let me just tell you. Uh, that when we opened this little uh, this little Zoom session, uh, David was all happy and go lucky, uh, <laughs> no problems at all. Uh, it was a great deal, and then I started telling him about the Alabama legislature <laughs> and and Man. the things that have been going on, and uh, so now I have uh, I have completely ruined David's day and probably week uh, with the information I have shared with him. And so, uh, David, yeah. uh, go ahead and express your anger. Yeah, so uh, we're talking about the Alabama legislature. We're talking about bills that are uh, that are pending, bills that are going to be uh, discussed. And you bring up a bill that uh, I will I will say in all honesty, I, I've been following some other things like the monuments bills, and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about that. But you mm-hmm, bring up mm-hmm. this bill that I was not familiar with where a Republican legislator is proposing that uh, following the the ending of a legislator's term, which I would assume would be by by losing an election, but mm-hmm. but maybe also by retirement, I don't know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that this legislator is proposing that legislators be given, extended their health insurance coverage should be extended from the additional three years that they already get uh-huh, uh-huh, to uh-huh. another three years making it a grand total no i'm sorry another two years no, two, two years yeah. yeah another two years making it a grand total of five years of health insurance that they get that would be paid for by we taxpayers right yes. Yes, so indeed. He, yes, indeed. here's here's what I don't here's what I don't under by us taxpayers here's what I don't understand. Okay, having like many people, mm-hmm. having had the experience of leaving a job and transitioning into uh, you know small business owner. Sure, I had to deal with what's called Cobra. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So Cobra uh, provided me with health coverage for a limited time. It may have been, I'm going to say a year, but I don't even think it was close to a year. It may have been six months, mm-hmm. but let's say it was a year. Let's be generous and say I got a year of, of Cobra coverage after, after I retired from my job and, and opened my business. Right. That was one year, mm-hmm. one, year. one year, one year of the most expensive coverage known to man. <laughs> yes. One year. Yeah. And yeah. now, these guys are already getting three years. Mm-hmm. They want an additional two years. And by the way, and this for me, this for me is uh, this is the cherry on top of the on top of this feces laden Sunday. <laughs> they 
meaning the legislature, mm-hmm. are the same people, and I'm talking really about the Republicans. Yes. They're the same people that have denied the people of Alabama health coverage through the Affordable Care Act and Medicaid expansion. Yes. These yeah, are the uh, same and, people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and done more than that. They, they've also they've also uh, specifically voted against uh, a, a gap style coverage there that would protect people who are changing jobs, who are unemployed, uh, who would lower the cost of, of coverage for those people or provide those people with, with just simply a, an insurance option there uh, that they could pay for at a rate similar to what they were uh, paying for when, when they had their employment uh, instead of the exorbitant amount of money that you pay for uh, with COBRA, which most people cannot afford, and which is the reason why nobody ever goes in and immediately signs up for COBRA because, you know, you, you make COBRA retroactive and, and you can, if you have a problem, then you go back and you get the COBRA coverage. And that's what most people do. But uh, so they also have voted down things like that, which is exactly what they're talking about here. Uh, the, the five years worth of coverage. And it's just, um, uh, you know, uh, what what gets me more than anything is exactly what you just said, is the, these people have resisted on purely political reasons, purely political reasons. They have resisted every attempt to provide the people of this state, uh, particularly the poor people of this state, exactly. with, with, with coverage uh, that they could rely on for themselves and their families. Uh, they they fought against uh, the the Obamacare Medicaid expansion. They fought against even creating uh, a, a marketplace where people could That's go right. in and and, right. and Alabama companies could present their products and, and you could you could shop around and have a better price. They resisted that and didn't do it. Uh, so the federal government had to include Alabama in their federal marketplace, exactly. which drove up your price. Um, and and none of that was because they couldn't do it. It was because or shouldn't do it. Uh, every indication was they should have done it, and it would have saved. Uh, it would have created billions and billions of dollars. Uh, it would have been an economic windfall for the entire state. Not to mention, it would have produced a healthier workforce uh, and, and a healthier group of school children, and all of these things that would have gone along with this stuff. It would have done all of that, and they voted against it because it had the black president's name attached to it. Uh, and it was a political win for them to say we fought Obamacare. That's raising your costs of insurance. We fought it, even though fighting it meant you didn't get any damn insurance, and so you died. But yay, yay! Yeah. So they they did all of that, as you said, mm-hmm. to the detriment of our state. They basically screwed us. They screwed yes. the state of Alabama. But mm-hmm. then they now, through one of their their own, they are now circling back to try to get the very thing for themselves. Yes. That they are denying to the people. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. See, that's where you're wrong. See, they're not even trying to do that. They're taking it a step further than that, because not only are they trying to get insurance that they uh, that, you know, that they've denied coverage of people. They're trying to get government insurance, the state employees health plan, which. I, if you would like to, as a matter of fact, I, I could probably check, I could probably pull up the rates here while we're discussing this, and I could find what the rate is for the Alabama uh, employees' uh, health care plan. 
uh, and, and tell you what they pay for in premiums each year, which would be shocking to you. Uh, so they're, they're taking it even a step further than that. Not only are they wanting, they're wanting coverage, they're wanting fantastic coverage. Mm. So, yes. So that, that's, uh, yeah. So, okay. So let's see. I'll just say my health insurance. Mm hmm. Is I'm gonna tell I'm gonna go ahead and tell you what I pay out of pocket for okay. my 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 monthly my company that I have for my health insurance. I'm paying almost well. I'm bet- I'm paying between four and five hundred dollars a month. I don't remember the exact number, but it's it's between four to five between four and five hundred dollars a month. But I'm, it's probably around four fifty. Probably okay. it actually probably around four fifty a month. Just for, yourself, just for yourself. Just for yourself. Just for me. Yeah, just for me. Uh, just for me. Single a single pay twenty twenty one premium rates for the state employees health care plan in Alabama for a single employee, one hundred and fifteen dollars. I would kill to pay that. I know, right? And their insurance right. is probably better than mine. Way better than mine in yeah. terms well, of uh, do they have do they have optical? Do they have dental? Do they have all of that folded uh, into that? Uh, I'm assuming that they do. That all of that is. Um, uh, and oh, I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, uh, the, um, uh, you, you get a $60 discount on that if you don't use tobacco. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and if you, uh, uh, if you participate in a wellness program, uh, you get another $25 discount. So you can so you're telling me out of the one hundred and fifteen dollars a month that they have to pay, they can get as much as an eighty dollar discount. I, that's what it seems as though it's it is saying here. It uh, let's see here, uh, yeah, I mean discounts and waivers, non tobacco usage discounts, sixty dollars. So so you're telling me that they can end up paying. Probably for 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 insurance. Well, from what you've said, the insurance coverage would be better than mine, just based on the fact that they they probably get optical and dental, because yeah. I I have to pay out of pocket for those things. Uh, they do 30, have de- they standalone standalone policies for dental eight dollars, uh, vision twelve dollars, uh, cancer care twelve dollars. Okay, so let's 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 just throw all that in there. So okay. thirty. So so. $32 a total uh, if you had, well, let's say, let's say 20 bucks total. So, um, yeah. So an additional, so $20 and then you've got these discounts. So that's still like what? 50 some odd dollars a month, right? 52 <laughs> or whatever it is. That yeah. is, that is absolutely extraordinary. Now I'm not going to begrudge that. No, to no. State employees. Great, yeah. Who are working for the state, probably not making what would be market rate for whatever their jobs would be outside of the state. But doggone it, for legislators who are no longer doing the work of legislators and and who are, um, and, and in fact, let's be honest, a lot of them are probably transitioning on to... Uh, positions where they're capitalizing on their time in the legislature, perhaps mm-hmm. as lobbyists yeah. or yeah. consultants, Lobbyist consultant. yeah, oh, consultant you know, work, yeah. and that sort of thing. 
So they're still actually probably making money from the state and in much larger amounts that way. And then they want to mm-hmm. still have this benefit, this insurance benefit for an additional five years. You know, yeah. now I understand this is for the if they don't get a job, you know, that's where the other, you know, but still, still, really? Yeah, I know. Uh, and yet and yet the people of Alabama don't deserve Medicaid expansion. The people of Alabama didn't deserve the, the opportunity to get in, uh, have the, a state marketplace. The people of Alabama didn't have, uh, you know, didn't deserve the opportunity to enjoy the full benefit, benefits of the Affordable Health Care Act. Really? Oh, I, listen, man, you're, you're telling me uh, you're 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 speaking to someone who uh, who in 2019 uh, paid when you added up all the premiums and everything, twenty seven thousand dollars. Uh, for healthcare, for healthcare, yeah. Wow, That's, that was my that was our that was our family's cost for healthcare, and we didn't really have a serious problem. We had uh, we had one minor uh, procedure performed on on my little girl. Uh, we were putting tubes in her ears. Uh, cost yeah. us uh, seven thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, seven thousand yeah. uh, yeah. just to put tubes in her ears. Uh, and and you know, and, and my wife had a little minor uh, carpal tunnel surgery, and and so uh, with those with the cost of those things, somehow or another. Uh, you know, you still didn't. We still didn't meet the out of pocket maximum, uh, and uh, and and even after the seven thousand, we hadn't met the, uh, the the deductible on things. So I mean, it's just you know that's that's the sort of insurance that you're left with when you're running small businesses. Uh, you know, and and so and that's what we're that's what we're in. Uh, you know, and so it just but the, here we are. You know, at, listen, I, I, I again, what what we're mad about is not that other people are getting this. It's right. the fact that other people are not getting this, you right. know, that, that the there hypocrisy. are so many people yeah, and the, the hypocrisy, hypocrisy of it, uh, of denying good working people, because that's what you're talking about here. That's, yes. that's what we're talking about, because th- those are the people who are being denied us uh, a decent health care right now are are good working people who are working enough that they're putting food on the table uh, for the family. You know, they're, they're barely surviving. Uh, out there, they're working their asses off, you know, at a job, you know, 50 hours a week somewhere, but they're not making enough to pay the, the exorbitant amount of, of, of rates that are out there for health insurance and for everything else, uh, you know, but they're not making as little as they would need to make uh, to qualify for Medicaid and, and, and those to- sorts of programs in this state. Uh, because we haven't expanded healthcare and covered that gap there between the poorest of our state and the you know the beginning of the middle class and and that that's where we're, we've lost so many people and that's what bothers me the most is you've just you you know everybody loves to talk about these people about the workers of Alabama and how we're going to protect the workers and we're going for the workers and you know what they're not they're, they they spend no. their days day in and day out figuring out every way possible to just take a big dump right on top of them. Uh, right on top of their heads, uh, every single time they show up to Montgomery, there the the working class people of the state take a step back uh, instead of a step forward. Because I mean, it, it, on top of all that, now we're t- we've also got a bill in there where they're they're working out how to keep people who have been forced back into these jobs so they can keep the lights on at their house, yeah. how they can't yeah. sue them. Uh, yep. if their employers have been negligent in terms of COVID, you know, uh, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's Arthur Orr here from Decatur again, you know, because I'm sure some of his buddies have forced some of their employees back into the office, 
uh, and and they, now they don't want to pay the liability that, that should come with with you know, making those people sick from COVID. You know, and it's just uh, I just I, I can't you know every and day why, every day. And why and what I don't understand is why, uh, and I and maybe it's because they don't know, but but it seems to me that every voter. Republican, Democrat, it really shouldn't matter. Every voter ought to be outraged at the very least by the hypocrisy, if mm-hmm. nothing more. By the yeah. hypocrisy. You know, yeah. uh, even if you feel like, well, they, you know, they did a service to our state and, and they deserve, you know, some, you know, some, some additional, uh, you know, show of our appreciation. They got paid 40 grand. It. They got well, paid forty grand look, for that you know, part-time look, job. I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm saying that I think there may be some people who may be softies. You're not a softie. I'm not a softie. There may be some people out there who are just softies and say, you know what, go on and give it to them. They served our state and and they did their patriotic duty. Okay, fine. But then what about the fact that they're trying to get the very same thing that they're blocking other people from? You know, uh, it, it just I, I don't understand how I just don't understand how people go to bed at night and sleep a good night's sleep with this level of hypocrisy. I just well, they got uh, I'll tell you, they got they got great health insurance. <laughs> that's, why, <laughs> that's, that's how they sleep so great. And many that's of the damn doctors got all their ailments fixed, man. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how they sleep great. That's uh, get that, uh, it, prescription level Ambien and, and pop yeah, pills. Yeah, okay. that's, uh, yeah, they, they've got all sorts of things to help them sleep. Uh, you know, it just you're, you're right. And, you know, this is what um, I have I have pushed Democrats in this state. You know, to me, this is their their pathway back to 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 relevancy uh, and beyond that is is focus on working people, uh, focus on the failures of of the Republican Party time and time again to aid working people. Stop worrying about these social issues. Start preaching uh, on this stuff. Get back and get the AEA back on your side. Uh, work with, with the folks at AFL-CIO, uh, you know, on union and union membership and, and, and focus your efforts on making life better every single day for working people in this state. And, and I mean, that bridges, it bridges everything, you know, race and, and, and all of that. It doesn't matter anymore about those sorts of things. When you start putting up policies and making it a part of your platform, the, the, one of the primary portions of your platform uh, to focus on making these things better for working class people, because I got to tell you, you know, all of the other issues there, they, they all come with that. All of the things, you know, that that's a, that's a big part of, of why some of these Republicans do this stuff. Um, uh, you know, they, 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 they don't care about uh, the, you know, the black workers out there who fill a lot of these jobs and a lot of the service industry jobs. Uh, you know, they don't care about the public education sector of there because, you know, the, a lot of the schools that are struggling are in the inner cities and they're high minority schools. And so that's why you've got to focus on those things. But, you know, I, it just, I, I think it's, uh, I think they're getting there with it. But, um, you know, I, I, to me, that, that's the thing that, that gets everybody back. And I think it's the one thing everybody can latch on to. Well, it, it, yeah, I agree with you. I know we gotta we gotta wrap up, but so I'll just say this real quickly. I do think you're right that that needs to be a a prime piece of our uh, of the Democratic Party's agenda 
and mm-hmm. of uh, and of our agenda, those of us who who vote as Democrats or liberals and progressives. But I also think that uh, there are some issues that are very specific that have to be addressed that a lot of people are going to see as sort of discrete issues and and some of these social justice issues I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if those are working class in the truest sense of the word. Uh, I think they still need to be a major part of the focus of the Democratic Party. But but without question, I think you're right that we've got to hit working people and the and the and the poor and just the yeah. poor, period. You know, yeah. well, when I said social, I, I meant I don't mean the social justice. I meant the social issues such as the uh, the abortion stuff, the you know, the, all of those sorts of things like that, that the Republicans have used for so long to, to kind of drive that wedge in there and, and stay relevant uh, to, to a portion of people that they really don't represent and haven't represented in, in 30 plus years. All right. Yeah, we, we do. We got to get out. Chris is waiting on us. So we'll get in, uh, talk some prison stuff, which, oh, you know, talk about some nonsense that prison bill man uh all right let's uh, let's slide out it's alabama politics this week be back in a minute hey i want to if we could for just a minute talk about aflcio uh because they they sponsor th- this this fine program um and all of the great information that contained within uh this fine program uh but uh you know i, I you've probably heard uh, a little bit more of late about unions uh, because of what's happening uh, around the Birmingham area with Amazon. Uh, the Amazon facility there is trying to unionize. Uh, there are also some some issues with the Hyundai plant uh, down near Montgomery and uh, uh, federal court uh, ruled in favor of some of the employees down there in, in regards to union uh, uh, unionization effort that's taking place in, in at, at that facility and, and some of the suppliers and you know, I, I'll say this. I said it on uh, Twitter, I believe, or on Facebook, one of the two this week, which will, will not be a surprise to anybody who's listened to me before. But uh, to me, the fastest way possible back to a thriving middle class uh, is through the return of, of union and union work. Um, I just I just think that it ends, it, to me, you can draw a straight line from the decline in worker wages to, to what's taking place uh, at, at, at some of these places with with unions uh, not being around. Oh, yeah, without question. Uh, our nation is a better nation when people have working conditions they can count on and when they have the kind of safety net that unions provide, not only in terms of working conditions, but also just in terms of, of pay and benefits. We know the, you know, history's already documented what business can do and will do if given the opportunity uh, that that puts workers at a disadvantage. So uh, there's no question in my mind that we've got to have, uh, you know, we've got to have a state where unions are more welcome and where people can get those protections. Absolutely. 
Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And listen, if you if you want to know a little bit more about uh, AFL-CIO Alabama uh, and the work they do, go to their website AFL-CIO Alabama uh, and and look up some of the some of the recommendations that are there. Uh, there's phone numbers and contacts and people in your area that you can talk to. And and really, uh, if you're in a in a in a line of work where you feel like unionization uh, would benefit you and the and the folks you work with every day, reach out. Talk to them, see what they can tell you. Uh, I guarantee you, you know they'll have some good ideas, and 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 if you you do unionize, you'll, you'll be a better workplace uh, for it. So uh, and and really, uh, we really thank them for for sponsoring this fine podcast and uh, and helping us helping us out. And you know, every now and then, uh, getting some information out to people. That's, uh, that's what we do. All righty, welcome back in. Uh, this is uh, Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy now to be joined by Representative Chris England. And I guess at, at this point, we're going we're gonna to just put you in the representative role uh, and not in the, the head of the ADP role for, for a little while because we're, we're going to talk about the, uh, the issues with, uh, with prisons uh, in this state. Um, and, and for those who aren't aware, which would be really disappointing because it mean, means you read nothing that we write or do. Uh, but, uh, uh, the, uh, the governor assigned two leases earlier this week, um, uh, for, for super prisons to go up in this state. Uh, uh we're going to eventually have three apparently, and they're going to cost us somewhere in the neighborhood of $3 billion, which is quite an increase from the 900 million where they started and uh, even an increase over uh, the 2 billion uh, that they were supposed to cost uh, last week. So uh, somehow another we added another billion dollars in there. And uh, I know uh, representative England has, uh, has some strong thoughts and has had some strong thoughts about this. And I'll guess I'll just open it up broadly and say, when she signed those, what did you feel? Um, I guess, uh, you know, there, you know, we're, um, you know what, forget about it. You know, in in Alabama, um, you get to the point where you're kind of conditioned to things. And although on paper they're shocking um, or not surprising, and you kind of get desensitized to some of the decision-making, decisions that are made in Alabama in regards to how we deal with just major issues. So. Um, you know, one of the things that you probably, I think we've all heard are reports and, and I mean, newspaper reports, DOJ reports, uh, just media reports about our prison system in general, whether we're talking about how we treat uh, the people who are incarcerated, whether we talk about how we manage the system, whether we talk about how our criminal justice system is, I mean, is just ripe with systemic failures across the board, whether you're talking about race, where you're talking about gender, uh, whether you're talking about employment, where you're talking about pay. I mean, uh, if you had a checklist of failure, I think, I think the Department of Corrections would set what would fail in every measurable, tangible metric you can come up with. And all of those things that, that you know are happening in our response is to build prison. So like, you know, if you've got crisis situations that are currently burning not there's not smoke coming up from them now you can see the full forest fire and that cross that that crisis is currently 
Um, I mean, just last week, someone basically um, suffocated, uh, was in a in a cell that was 109 degrees. Yeah, um, and that person died. Uh, maybe this past week, a guard beat a, a, another incarcerated citizen uh, unconsciously and taken to the hospital. Those don't sound like building issues to me. Those are management issues. So um, that's you telling me we're going to build prisons three years from now is essentially just ignoring um, how bad it, the situation currently is. It's just, it's really frustrating. Yeah, you know, um, before we, we dig in a little more on, on those things, um, because from a reporter's standpoint, um, uh, just talk talk about just for a second the the mechanics of of what she did and what we're doing here in in building these things and and in signing these leases. There were so many red flags about this process here that should in a state like ours where political corruption is the name of the game and we've seen people go to jail left and right over the years uh, for a number of things to think that we're going to sign thirty one year leases uh with with two with this company uh that Regions Bank said, Oh no, we're not doing that. Uh you know, we're not we're not getting involved in this in this deal. Uh but it, even more than that, with people who we can't identify, uh who have formed Delaware corporations, two Delaware corporations who we can't identify who's who's involved in it, what they're doing. We can't identify how much it's gonna cost. Uh, we, I mean, none of these things are known. We signed these things and and entered this agreement without knowing who we're doing business with and how much it's going to ultimately cost to do business with those people. Uh, and at the end of this, at the end of 30 years, we're going to own nothing. And to me, I don't understand how everyone at the state house and everywhere else isn't outraged by all that. Um, again, it's been, we've been kind of desensitized to it. Um, and we're at the point now when we're dealing with the criminal justice system where any answer is a good answer now because there's really not any. So somebody says to you, I mean, because this is not just a couple of years of negligence. This is decades of negligence. And, you know, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. Um, one thing about the state government is we like to take um, communities of people that we feel like are undesirable Put them, put them away and act like they don't exist anymore. So when you're talking about people with mental illnesses, we try to put them away and act like they don't exist anymore and they end up turning up homeless or in our jails. Well, also now you've got the incarcerated population that we pretend like we can just continue to put in facilities and just ignore them and that problem won't come back to haunt us years down the road. But, you know, without even talking about just the corruption component of it, because, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about how that's going to work. I don't know who's behind that. I don't know who the who the, the the man behind the curtain is. I have no idea. But what I will say is, when you spend, when you're capable of spending three billion dollars with essentially no checks and balances, without having um, people with elected representatives that have some some level of accountability involved in their position without involving them and without exposing the deals, the details of the deal to the public, 
you're already going to start having questions about, you know, how legitimate is this process, right? That's first. But, but secondly, I'm not going to act like the legislature doesn't have a role in this. You know, up until this point, you know, we've absolutely failed, whether it be through sentencing reform or whether it be through addressing facilities themselves. The legislature does not get off without some, some liability or culpability in this failure. But I will say this, though. It should never be easy to spend $3 billion, right? <laughs> yeah. It should also never be easy to sign or, or leverage our general fund for 30 years on, 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 a, on, a, on something that's going to increase every year for the next 30 to 35 years. So sure, in that situation, it should be difficult to pass legislation around that particular issue. There's so many issues involved in it, whether it's, you know, since one of the largest economic development forces in Alabama is building prisons, unfortunately, uh, there's so many things that are attached to it, whether it be employment, whether it be infrastructure, whether it be actually incarcerating citizens. There's so many things that are attached to it that it should be hard to do it. So if it takes us three or four sessions to get a, a plan in place, then so be it. But that doesn't mean that we can't work on the other very large part of this problem, which is Alabama remains one of the easiest states in the country to end up with life without parole. That is the case, then you don't have to really you know, get complicated in your thought process about why we have a prison overcrowding problem. But also, um, two months ago, and this will, this will just blow your mind because it blew my mind, but just a couple of months ago, if, if there are four areas where you can get out of prison, right, whether it be through you EOS, whether you get uh, EOS in the Senate, whether you get mandatory release prior to EOS, which removes the parole board part of this, or um, you get parole, let's say you get parole. Every other element, every other way out of the prison system was utilized more than the parole board itself. Think about that. So the mechanism that we've designed to review sentences and release individuals based upon rehabilitation and other things that they've done while they're incarcerated is doing a worse job releasing people than all the other elements that aren't necessarily designed to do what that particular body is doing. And for all these folks that are out here talking about, we're worried about public safety, right? More people got out because the sentence ended, which means that they walk out of the door with no supervision at all, than our parole board released. So what if you're all about public safety, what should be your focus? Getting people out that you claim you're afraid of without supervision or getting them out earlier so they can be supervised and have some sort of assistance in be, being resocialized. So, I mean, but it's, so, but it's really just all a hoax. It's just it's what they sell the public on to continue to garner support without actually coming up with a solution for the problem itself. Well, it, it and, seems, oh, I'm sorry, Chris. It seems to me like uh, this is just 
validation of the of the concerns raised by Professor Michelle Alexander and others. You know, she wrote the best-selling book, The New Jim Crow, which talked about mass incarceration and the problems that it uh, it presents to our society. Everything that you said, I think, is validation of that. But let's but let's but let's go back to something very fundamental here. How in the world does one person, albeit the, the, the CEO of the state, but nonetheless, how is it that one person can, can based on her or his decision-making or her or his preferences, enter the state into a $3 billion, 30-year agreement? How is that even legal? How is that even possible? that one person has that much power? That's a fantastic question. And, and it's one of those issues that, um, you know, I've been talking about, tweeting about. Um, so in order to prevent these sorts of deals from happening, um, the Constitution prohibits executive branch agencies from um, incurring debt on our general fund beyond a year at a time legislature is the appropriator, which is why every session you see every government agency coming before the legislature justifying uh, their appropriation. And then we have to determine how much you get appropriated. So we that's why when you see them publicly say this is a 30-year lease, it's really not because they can't enter into a 30-year long lease. It's really, as, uh, as Josh alluded to earlier, not alluded to, but said, it's essentially 31-year leases. So what they're doing is just basically commandeering that portion of the budget for the next 30 years every single year. Now, there is always a nuclear option here the legislature has at its, at its disposal, which is to just not pay it. But when you saw that picture of the governor sitting there with those stacks of paper in front of her, I guarantee you, and I haven't even gone through all of them, um, and, and I've gone through what's available to me online because it's not the, because we're not, they haven't shown us the whole document, obviously. But I guarantee you there's several things in there. One, you're going to find some sort of indemnification clause, um, something to protect them in the event that Alabama does what we normally do and is abuse our assets. <laughs> Because we're we're going to intentionally we're going to intentionally overcrowd those bad boys. We're intentionally going to understaff them, and anybody who's going to build that prison for us isn't going to uh, isn't going to sign that agreement without being protected. Because we're going to abuse those buildings. That's first. But the second thing is, I guarantee you that there's penalties in those in those documents for non-payment. So we're going to have to. We're probably going to face the the the. Uh, auspice of, you know, in the event that we decide, all right, look, one component of this thing, the least component of it, I think is 72 million every year, right? But the other part of it is, it's a CPI, which um, artificially determines what the cost will be to maintain these buildings into the future. So it doesn't actually attach itself to a real cost. It's an imaginary cost. And I guarantee you, that uh, we're going to quickly outstrip what the CPI is in these agreements with maintenance costs. Because again, we're not planning on taking care of these buildings. 
we're we are planning on treating them just like the uh, just like the rest of our inventory. We're going to stuff people in them, which means that something that's got a ten year shelf life now only has a five year shelf life. So, bottom line is they're attempting to force those one year those one year leases into a loophole by suggesting that the way the deal is structured, it is similar to other uh, um, legally binding agreements that the state of Alabama has entered into in the past. But I, I will defy anybody from the administration and the legislature or anybody that's putting these deals together. Please find me a lease arrangement that has a fixed component to it and one that is variable and changes every year. I fundamentally believe that the deal itself is unconstitutional and is illegal, which is why they continue to describe it the way that they do. But there are certain questions they can't answer. And one of them is, how is this a traditional lease? when 20% of it changes every single year. So Chris, I mean, what you said only adds to my concerns about one person being able to, uh, basically able to uh, execute this and, and force it through. And, and I gotta say, even though I do agree with some people out there who say this, the the government under the auspices of Governor Ivey's administration has not shown any propensity to overt corruption. It does appear, though, to me, that this is an inherently corrupt agreement because of the size of the agreement, because of the terms, even though you said it's basically a you know, one one year recurring term over a thirty year period, but that's 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 extravagant by any standard. You know, it's no, almost no, mafia like. It seems to me this on, is me inherently know, let me corrupt. Let me explain to you. If it's, if we're talking about a hundred percent, let's just say a hundred dollars, right? Mm-hmm. According to the numbers that we've been given, and again, they gave these they. They've supplied all of these things, not anything that we've independently discovered. Right. So they've controlled the flow of information about what we're talking about. But 80% of it will remain the same for the duration of the deal. 20% of it will change and go up every single year. Right. The index. And it's not right. $88 million, it's not, it's, it's going to be that $96 million figure that they keep talking about, mm-hmm. right? So it's got a built-in escalator cost to try to cover the cost of what the damage we're going to do to these buildings, right? right? So I think that's because it sort of sets this thing up for the failure that we're going to see at some point in the very near future. Um, They're not going to be our landlord in 10 10 to 15 years because this deal is going to evolve into something that's prohibitively expensive for Core Civic to continue to try to make work which is why we started off with five potential investors and they ended up with just two because the other one said, we cannot make the math work. Or Civic so, is so desperate to get into this deal because again, warehousing individuals is not a lucrative business. It's just not, which is why it's a fundamental state responsibility. Um, they're taking this deal because they need the money. And the Joe Biden administration, when they put that federal, uh, basically for the next four years, we're not going to enter into new contracts for private companies who've been, you know, for those sorts of deals. 
has put a significant hamper, I mean, a significant hammer on their ability to borrow and leverage money into the future. So they needed this deal. We likely saved them years of insolvency because we ended into this deal with them. So when you say that, like the way the deal is struck, again, what you said before you started about inherently corrupt, no one, I don't think anybody's suggesting that that there is nefarious, in my opinion, at least, nefarious uh, intent at the outset. But those aren't the people you have to worry about. It's the money that's exchanging hands after the, after the ink dries on the contract and how people cut corners to make sure they can still maintain a profit. And I, I, don't, I don't think we should move away from this without acknowledging that years ago when we passed HB 317, which created the economic development, economic developer exception to our ethics law. What that basically meant was it created two things. One, whoever the economic developer site selector is in this deal didn't have to register. So we don't know who that person is going to be. We also created another fantastic loophole in our, in our, in our ethics law that they don't have to register and they can work on a contingency. So again, what other purpose could there be? And I, and I'll, Josh, I'll step back after this, this follow-up, but I don't understand what other purpose could there be other than a corrupt one to not disclose who you are and how you're doing business. A lack of transparency to me is prima. It is, it is as solid evidence as you can have of corruption. Again, I don't know why you don't want sunlight on it. Um, I don't know why you don't want transparency there. Um, Because again, if if I were trying to circumvent the legislative process to spend that much money, I would want you to know from every step, every angle, every investor, every penny, how it was spent. So I wouldn't have to answer these questions. Um, But you got to admit, though, and this may get me in trouble, but, you know, who cares? The last year, um, uh, the executive branch has been operating in relative impunity. So, I mean, do you honestly believe that now we're going to turn around and be able to say, hold on, I don't know about, I don't know about this one, after, you know, you change election dates? Uh, I mean, just all sorts of things. So, I mean, I, I, you know, at this point, we're kind of at, um, at the executive branch's mercy. So. Um, yeah, you know, we had. And I, matter of fact, I wrote that earlier this week, uh, which is that you know you you've, you've essentially set up uh, where we can, you can see you can see it coming. Whether it's it's Ivy's administration, and I said I, you know there, there's been no hint of corruption within the Ivy administration uh, to this point. Um, you know, some of that may be that nobody's really looking that hard, but um, it there, there's been no no real. Uh, no real corruption to flow out of that, but you've set up a system here where there very well could be. But you know the the biggest thing to me, the biggest problem I have, aside from all of the other things that we've talked about so far here, is we have identified, and the DOJ has helped us identify a number of very very serious, uh, heartbreaking in some instances problems within our prisons here. And if we are going to spend three billion dollars. Uh, on these prisons to build these things. What I am concerned with is that we are not going to have any real money remaining or the willingness to put up any more uh, money 
uh, to correct um, the, the, the understaffing issues, the mental health issues, the health care issues, uh, just the basic human decency issues uh, that are there. And, and I wonder if you have the same concerns. I do. And, and, and I mean, I want to lead this answer off with the first thing is, um, and I've said it on Twitter a million times, like, what does it take to get fired around? Okay. You know, like, I'm, you know, I, I've talked to Jeff Dunn, Jeff, you know, a number of times and nice guy, but he can't do his job. And I think a lot of people would feel better about this direction. Um, it, it, it at least feel some way, some better, just a little bit better about the direction we're headed if we had a different commission. And, you know, I haven't been shy about it. I, I wanted Charlie Graddick gone and I wanted Jeff Dunn gone. I didn't get the package that I was looking for, unfortunately. But that's the first and foremost thing. Um, the expectation is, as long as he's in charge, this whole situation is going to be mismanaged. And ultimately, that's where the corruption comes from. Lack of leadership creates opportunities for things to go sideways. That's first. But secondly, um, we are basically, in my estimation, handing over a blank check to the prison system. And what that means is, and, and, and you know, uh, uh, we're supposedly engaging a private company to keep us away from the volatility of the market itself. So the private company exposes itself when it goes to the market to buy, borrow the money, and the state of Alabama just pays them to deal with all that mess. But you, it's not that easy because if they struggle with the, with the financing and paying for the maintenance and so forth, that means that we struggle with it. You can't separate the two. So if we're going to intentionally overcrowd it, if we're going to intentionally misuse the property, if we're going to intentionally understaff it because we don't, I mean, again, it's not, that's, those things aren't going to change. Um, that means that we're not going to make it 10 years. We're probably going to go about five or six and the maintenance costs on the facilities are going to be extraordinary, which means that Core Civic is going to try to find a way to get out of this or come back to us to say, we need more money. The CPI crap that you added to this thing does not cover the actual expense of maintenance. So what are you going to do in that situation? Well, of course, what do you do whenever you privatize what is essentially a government function? You start cutting corners and sacrificing care. You start sacrificing security. You start sacrificing other things that are necessary in order to have a functioning criminal justice system. So what you're going to end up finding later on in this deal is exactly what you said. We're going to spend more money maintaining the buildings than we will on programming to reduce recidivism. We're already seeing um, the efforts that we've undertaken in the legislature to reduce prison overcrowding being sacrificed at the altar of punishing uh, punishing everybody from from this um, fake public safety thing. So. Uh, we can't handle either component of it, whether you are going into the system or you're into the system. Um, so when we're making that decision years down the road about whether or not we're going to pay for ways to keep you out of prison, we're going to start balancing between that and, and is it just you know cheaper just to lock you up for longer? And 
Um, eventually, in my estimation, I, we will not be around to see how this, how this plane crashes at some point. But um, there's going to be a point where we say, because we're going back and forth with this private company, is you just take all of it. All the employees in the building will become your employees. And they'll no longer be state employees. And those prisons, because it becomes prohibitively expensive to continue to maintain this deal, they will no longer be just private buildings with state employees in them. They'll be their prison. But it'll be a different landlord, though. Somebody else who's got the capital to be able to afford those operations. Yeah, we, we haven't we already, uh, over the last 10 years, steadily cut rehabilitation programs in, the, in, the, in our prisons? If you talk to Jeff Dunn, um, it's, it's, it, it couldn't get any better. Uh, what? Uh, <laughs> I've seen the numbers. You know, it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> you know what's funny to me, though? And, and you know, it's not funny. It's actually sad. But the oldest facility in the state of Alabama is our only women's facility. It's Tutwater. It's probably 85 years old. And the next time you talk to Jeff, Jeff Dunn, ask him, what's your plan for the oldest, most dilapidated, the worst facility you have? Don't know. Don't have one. We'll, we'll figure that out once we pay $3 billion for these men's facilities. So the likelihood is you won't see a new facility because that, that place is about 100 years old. But lay that, for, lay, that, lay that aside for a second. Because I asked him specifically in a hearing about what your plans were for it. Like, you, are you really going to sacrifice the women because you, you want better prisons for men? That's, is that a good argument? And he told me, we don't necessarily need a facility for Tutwiler because our management strategy and changes in how we do business there have made that a better environment. So, you know, you don't necessarily hear the complaints from Tutwiler anymore because we do such a better job of managing it. And I'm thinking, well, how the hell can't you, how come you can't do the, these men facilities? <laughs> I know, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. You know, why, can't you, why, why can't your management skills turn these into this uh, the, the new oasis that apparently Tutwiler? Mm-hmm. Which is a lie, I think, which is a flat out lie. But anyway. But that's the whole point now, because once you commit yourself to building new facilities, you only need you're only looking for evidence to suggest that we need new facilities. But at that point, you're also sacrificing the employees and the prisoners that are in those facilities as well. I mean, listen, man. Um, whenever the Trump administration, Department of Justice, says that you forced us to sue you, <laughs> you I mean, you set a record here. I, I know. If, if Trump, the Trump administration decided it was necessary to sue us, can you imagine what the Biden administration is going to do to finish this off? Yeah, I, I mean, it, the, you're talking about the administration that locked kids in cages at the border. Uh, to look, took a look at Alabama's prisons and said, "Oh hell, that's terrible. You can't do that to murderers and and other convicts." But I mean, uh, this state went to Trump's 65, almost 70 percent. So the last thing they want to do is sue a state that hands, you know, just basically hands them electoral college votes. So to force their hand to the point where they think that our situation is so bad that they had to do something. And again, let's not forget the argument is this is a constitutional violation, that the conditions within our prison are worse than the death penalty. That's the allegation. One thing you have never heard from anybody on the state side is that any of those allegations in that Department of Justice report 
are false. No, you've never heard anybody say that. No, it, it just it just caught the AG off guard. Even though there was a four year <laughs> there was a four year investigation that they reported on continually uh, in to every major newspaper in the state. But yeah, you know, it caught him off guard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got he's got other he's got other things he's worried about. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely right about that. Other things that he's worried about, other than the people of this state, uh, continually. But, uh, well, listen, uh, Chris, it's been uh, uh, very informative as always, and and it's it's a sad situation. It is. It's a you know, I, it, and we, I, you know, I, I think at one point you said it's it's funny, but it's sad, and that, but that's the way it is. I mean, you have to at some of this almost laugh at the comical mismanagement of what's taking place here. But then once you laugh, you think, oh my God, there there are thousands of people subjected to this inhumanity every day, uh, just because of our mismanagement of this. And it's just, it's nice that that there are some people still left in state government. Uh, that are, uh, you know, they're taking a hard look at things and, and calling people out on their BS. And, and so we, we appreciate you for doing that and, and for coming on and, and taking some time today to kind of, and hopefully it'll explain it to people and, and, and maybe create an uproar. Uh, it takes a lot to create an uproar about prisons, apparently, but maybe if we keep giving them the information, that'll do it. So we do appreciate well, you for the, that. The, if, he, if, if eventually if you keep getting beaten, beaten on, you become desensitized to it. It's how we respond to racism. It's how we dis- respond to sexism. And it's also how we're responding to the people in, the, in, our, in our system being abused. Yeah. Now you're right about that. It's a, it's a shame. And, and maybe, maybe if we shine enough light, uh, eventually somebody, you know, enough people will care that, that some things will change for those folks in there. So, uh, hey, we, we appreciate it. Thank you for coming in. And uh, that is, uh, that's, that's Chris England, Representative Chris England, head of the Democratic Party. And uh, he is, uh, do, does a great job uh, there. And uh, we're, we're lucky to have Chris and a lot of other people like him uh, there that, that keep an eye on things and, and call people out and, and do so smartly and with facts. And, uh, you know, and, and one thing you can argue with Chris if you want to, but you're not going to beat him on the facts. So, uh, Hey, we're going to slide out of here. We'll come back, wrap this thing up, uh, in, uh, uh, in just a couple of minutes. We're Alabama politics this week. Welcome back in Alabama politics this week. Uh, that was uh, that was good with Chris, yeah. right? Uh, it, it was, was a good uh, conversation. But again, uh, I you know it makes me think I need to have a blood pressure machine in my house or something because it just the more <laughs> the more we talk, the angrier I got as I thought about just the uh, the 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 job that I think is being done on the people mm-hmm. of the state. Um, and, and, and also not just the people of the state as a whole, but in particular, a very vulnerable population, uh, that, you know, to me and, and, you know, my, I guess my particular worldview is such Josh that when I, when I listen to things like this, I think, well, this is just another form of slavery. This is just a repeat of. Mm -hmm. Of, of the whole idea of building wealth on the backs of other people. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're mm-hmm. enabling here. Wealth building on the backs of a vulnerable population who many people, including people who are so-called Christians, 
see as disposable people. They just say, well, hell, they're in prison. Mm-hmm. What does it matter? They're prisoners. They're, yep. they're guilty. It doesn't matter what happens to them. So we build wealth on the backs of these yeah. people. We allow, as you pointed out earlier, them to be so uh, disregarded and, and, and uh, so uh, treated so horribly that, you know, oh, well, what does it matter is this guy was in prison? Okay, so he died and it was 100 degrees in his cell. Okay, moving on. Give me my, give me my ice cream, you know. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. just, it's, it's very yeah. disturbing and unsettling to me that that's where we are as a society. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, you know, and and we were talking uh, in between the in the, the in between the segments here the, of of just how uh, how difficult it is for for both of us uh, to to get involved in the in the reporting and the uh, and the stuff that goes on in the prisons just because it is such. Um, you know, and and it's, it sounds terribly selfish to say a lot of times, but it, it's such a. Uh, it's such a complete and utter demoralizing um sad feeling that you, that you get from going and doing this every day because there's never ever a bright spot with any of it there's never uh, a win you know there's never it never you tell people these stories about about what's going on uh in in the prisons uh you know of, of, a, of a guy being cooked to death in his cell you know and you and you say this this awful terrible thing happened look at this look at the at these facts of this happening and i mean in some cases hell look at the video of these things happening to these poor human beings here and Everybody's just cavalier eh, about it, eh, you know, and nothing, nothing changes, nothing ever changes with it. And, and that's the part that that's just so kind of demoralizing to the point that just, you know, it makes me take a step back in a lot of ways. I mean, I still write about the stuff. There's still some guys that, uh, in, in prisons that, uh, that I will, will correspond with from time to time on, on stuff. And, and just, you know, I, I, and I'll say this, I think if there is any, any decent part of the opioid crisis uh, in in this country, it's that it it caught up in its wake so many people across so many lines there that it has opened a lot of people's eyes up to the criminal justice system and the incarceration system in this country uh, that would not ordinarily have had gotten a look and a peek behind that curtain because they wouldn't have bothered. Uh, and so when, when they're talking about my brother, cousin, father, mother, you know, kid, or whatever, and watching them go through this process because they were hooked on opioids and it led them down this path of where they were stealing things and doing this stuff, and it was their people, all of a sudden it removes that barrier, I think, that was there for a lot of people. And so maybe some good will come from from that awful crisis there and that so many people that would not have ordinarily been a part of the criminal justice system here in this country um, are, are yeah. getting a hard look at things now and, and seeing the injustices and the, and, the, and the bad stuff that's happening. And maybe that will ultimately lead to some changes. Not in Alabama, of course, uh, but because, you know, we'll, we'll rely well, on the feds for I that. But you- um, 
I think you make a great just, point. You know. And of course, the subtext to your point is really race. Because when crack was an epidemic in the 80s, we in the black community were talking about the same things, about how our family members were being affected and, and how, uh, you know, their lives and our family's lives were being destroyed by this thing. And I'm, and I'm speaking as someone who has had crack addicted relatives. So this is, I'm not just being intellectual here or pontificating here. I'm talking about what I know. And yet, there was no societal response to this. There was no empathy because crack was affecting, overwhelmingly affecting black and brown people. You know, so it wasn't until... Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's the economics of it too. You know, I, I think there's a, there's a big economic not factor more so than the well. racial one, in, in, in the, not more the so poor. than the racial component. I'm sorry, I am um, not from what I'm seeing, not from yeah. what I recall. I, I definitely think the racial portion, the racial portion, is the majority of it. I I, I definitely believe that, but I, I also think that there's a you know the opioid crisis. It it get, it didn't just get white people. It got you know relatively well off white people. You know, uh, you know, and and middle class white people, uh, upper middle class white people, were all of a sudden now tossed into this, uh, you know, into this mechanism that they never would have, you know, been a part of. And oh my God, can you believe the things that are happening? And everybody was like, Well, yeah, right. the hell you think we've been talking about all well, this time? I think what it showed is that there is no, when it comes to the human condition, uh, there is no innate. Uh, ability to resist the need to get pain relief. And so people do it in different ways. People do it in ways in which it's most accessible to them. So, you know, crack was a street drug. And I, and I, and I take your point about the economic component, I think that, or the economic aspect, I think that's valid. So crack was a street drug. So street people, predominant, you know, people that were more likely to to have the resources to get it that way, which would be in our country, black and brown people and some white people too, were also being strung out on crack. But black and brown people with crack, and then a little bit later, ice came along, and you started to see, I think, more white people with ice than even with crack. But but still, that was street level stuff, low economic stuff. But prescription drugs and opioids. Yeah, you're right. That was that's that's middle class white people. I mean, yeah, they're blacks as well and others, but that's primarily middle class white people, upper class white people. And now it's a public health crisis. Well, hell, it's always been a public health crisis. Yeah, it always was. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's funny how that changed, wasn't it? It's a uh, move from just criminals and locking people up to, oh, it's a public health crisis. Uh, I mean, <laughs> look at these people, you know, they're in jail with this. And it's, it just, uh, you know, I, I, it has always, uh, you know, I, that, that's what bothers me um, in a grand picture sort of a way. It's what bothers me about the Alabama legislature so often. Uh, in our conservative approach to things is that we don't spend enough time uh, kind of thinking about stuff, you know, and, and, and removing some of the immediate, uh, Hey, you know, I'm this punitive uh, sort of action on this or exploring why, you know, we're all basically the same and we're all basically, you know, we all basically want the same things as we've discussed before, but, 
there seems to be a failure of recognition of that uh, at the at the lawmaking level uh, here, and so many times in our state, and it just it's so it's it that I think that is what leads to more bad bills and more uh, insincere uh, commentaries and things like that on, on other human beings than than anything else is this refusal to acknowledge that we're all starting from essentially the same starting point, And then a variety of different things are leading us to different decisions and different actions. And instead of exploring what's leading us to those different actions, we're just so caught up in punishing the action itself. It's it, that's, that drives me crazy uh, so often uh, here. And, and I think if you did that more and stopped worrying about number one, the race of the people uh, and, and gave people uh the the ability to to work themselves out of this, which is what the the horribly named defund the police movement was was about, uh, was more so this idea of coming together and saying, hey, if we're having somebody with a mental health crisis and their family calls nine one one, instead of us paying for three cop loads of car uh, of cops to go out there, uh, or three carloads of cops to go out there. Um, how about we pay for right. a, a mental right. health worker to go out there? You know, why, why don't, why, why don't we do that? And instead of sending this person to jail for the sheriff and his deputies to handle, why don't we put them in a facility where they could get the treatment that they need to maybe go back out into society and be functioning and not have these incidents and, and not clog, clog up a jail simply because that person is having a mental health crisis. And that that's what it's about. And, and, you know, I, we have a resistance to that because so many people need to have this and, and, punishment. And at the I end think they it. need to have that punishment at the end because baked into our cultural DNA is the idea that there is a hierarchy of people. There's a hierarchy in our humanity. So, you know, that and that hierarchy is uh, constructed based on race, class, gender, gender preference, sexual identity. Um, you know, sexual orientation. It's also based on uh, religion, you know, uh, or, you know, where, where you are on that. I mean, we have all of these ways that we like to rank people and, and slot them into the hierarchy. And, uh, and, and then, and, and so consequently, those who don't rank high enough because they don't fit in the right uh, fit in in the right tiers and the right slots. Well, those people are then disposable, or those are people we can disregard. Those are people we don't really need to invest in. Those are people that we can easily dismiss. We can dismiss their problems and their struggles because they don't really count. Yeah, it just and, and I, you know, I think it's it's some. I also for for a lot of those people, I think it's a personal uneasiness with them, uh, where where they don't know how to how to deal with with people. Uh, you know, they don't they don't have the uh, maybe the intelligence or the the strength, um, you know, to to deal with with somebody who had who has had some sort of I, I don't want to say failure, uh, but something that sets them apart. You know, uh, there whether it be an addiction or a you know some some uh, a mental health pro- issue or or whatever there you know I think so many times people just say I don't understand that and so I'm gonna push it away from me 
you know, and um, and, and I think that's probably a natural human reaction to, to that sort of a thing. But, you know, I, I think at this point, we should all understand that it's probably uh, not probably it's definitely not not the way to to solve anything uh, here. It's not the way for us to go about this. You know, locking locking people that have mental health issues up in prisons is not it's not solving any problem for anybody. You know, it's, it's just creating more problems. You've, you've taken what could be a relatively easy fix and you've created six or seven other problems out of this, uh, at that point by doing it that way. And it just, that, that drives me crazy. And let me, there's another thing that, that drives me insane as well. Okay. And, and, and from a, from a thinking person's perspective on stuff, and that is these monument bills and things that, that we're, well, we got two now, one from Mike Holmes in Elmore County, another one from Chip Brown. That, so they've got two where they're protecting these Confederate monuments here. And, and this is what this is what bothers me about this, okay? And whatever games they're wanting to play, to set that aside, okay? Because I know that some of them are just playing these ridiculous games because they think it's going to get them cheap votes from idiots, okay? And I get that. All right, but what bothers me more than anything are the people who legitimately can't see or don't care that those monuments are offensive to a large portion of their fellow citizens. And and not just that, is that they don't consider that to be a valid argument. And I cannot wrap my head around how someone who is a black person in America can say to you that statue of Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis or whatever Confederate soldier is offensive to me because that person enslaved and fought for the enslavement of my ancestors and felt like I was a subhuman to the point to where I should be serving other people simply based upon the color of my skin. And that honoring that person with that statue is offensive to me. I don't understand. I cannot wrap my head around how it is that someone couldn't say, well, that's a fair point. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, I understand what you're saying there. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We, we should probably take that down. I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. If you remove the emotion and whatever, why the hell there's emotion in it from the other side of this, I have no freaking idea. But what, I, I don't understand. I I can't. I cannot wrap my head around that. Well, that is why, uh, speaking on behalf of black people everywhere, that is why you will always have uh, a lifetime pass to the bar, the family barbecue. That's why. <laughs> That's a, what you just said is exactly why. You're welcome. You, you, you know, and and we might even let you bring some potato salad as long as it doesn't. Uh, have, well, it, there's raisins in it. There's, there's raisins, raisins in it. That's, that's right. That's the key. And I'm not bringing any damn potato salad because I hate potato salad. But oh, okay. I, you know, I, I do, I do make some, I do make some good ribs. Yeah. Well, I do make some you're good welcome. Ribs. We'll we'll let you bring All your right. own ribs and come and share. with we, you, you are welcome okay. to the family. I appreciate it. Appreciate that because we don't understand it either. Um, we don't understand it, and. Um, and and quite frankly, I, part of me is almost really tired of having the argument with people because it seems to me like it's so, this is not rocket science. It's not quantum physics. It's pretty basic, you know, and for people who still don't get it and, you know, if, you know, 
I don't know what to say at this point other than God have mercy on your soul because it's just, to me, it's not rocket science. Any, any more than it would not be rocket science if we were trying to put up statues of, um, of Hitler, you know, and our Jewish brothers and sisters were to come and say, Hey, why are you, you know, that hurts us. That pains us. My, I gotta say, uh, if we judge over the last four years, even that shit is okay. Apparently now, you know, I mean, we're not, we're literal Nazis marching around the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're right. With a segment of our population, even that would be okay. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, our, our fathers, the greatest generation or grandfathers, uh, you know, the, that, that fought these people must had to have been turning over in their graves to watch, uh, Nazis march through the streets of America and, and everybody go, well, you know, they got a point. They do have a point. Yeah, you know, good and it's just on both sides. Yeah, yeah, good people on both sides. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, I don't. I'm sorry. It just, you know, the the um, the emotion of it, it ne- doesn't make any sense. The the all of it together, it just at a point you're just being a dick. You know what I mean? That's all it is. That's all you you you're being a dick, and you want to keep being a dick, and that's that's all it is to it, really. I mean, you, you you enjoy being a dick. You enjoy seeing people get all riled up because you're being a dick to them, and it gives you some sort of perverted glee. That's the only thing that makes any sense to me about this, because the other arguments don't. None of it makes any sense. You're not. It's not history. You're not learning a damn thing from it. Uh, you know, it's not your heritage. You didn't. You weren't fighting. You don't know any of these people. Uh, you know, and it just. Even the people who were fighting, they mostly weren't fighting for this nonsense. They were just showing up, you know, and it just, I, there, none of it makes any sense. It doesn't make any sense other than, hey, I like being a dick, so I'm just going to be one. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I would attach to what you're saying about about that with this whole idea, again, of just thinking, looking at another human being and just thinking, their life doesn't matter. Their feelings don't matter. Their considerations don't matter relative to my own. And it doesn't matter how much hurt or damage my position does to them. Uh, they just don't matter. Yeah, I, I guess you're probably right. Because that, that, then we cut, we get back into the whole uh, all lives matter nonsense and all that, you know. And it's just, and the, and the lack of understanding of, of you know, the intentional lack of understanding of Black Lives Matter and that and all that. So, but uh, you know, I, that's that's how we how we go here, I guess. So I tell you what, it's uh, why don't we why don't we do a right wing nut? Let's let's <laughs> because it's a name you know. Uh, it is our buddy Chip Brown uh, who is our right wing nut because Chip has. Uh, he has taken every Heritage Foundation slash Alec bill uh, that has been presented to anybody in the Republican Party to carry, and he's carried them all uh, this session. Uh, every idiotic bill he can carry from the um, the incitement of a riot uh, bill that he's got that I wrote about uh, facetiously uh, last week, uh, in which I pointed out that he would have had every single person at the Capitol arrested under his bill. Under his bill. Uh, and Donald Trump arrested and Mo Brooks arrested. And I mean, all of them under the definitions of inciting a riot that he provided, Chip Brown would have had everybody arrested. And most of uh, the uh, ALGOP in this state simply for providing buses and and funding 
uh, people to go to this rally. Uh, they, you know, they, we would have also had uh, quite a few people arrested in this state for that. Uh, in addition to that bill, uh, he also has a bill to exempt religious organizations from health, public health orders, uh, which means that the state would no longer have any uh, authority to close churches uh, in the event of a public health crisis. Uh, so you could continue going in like there a like a bunch of idiots. Yeah, like, yeah, a, like a pandemic and spreading COVID or whatever else mm-hmm. is going on. In addition, uh, in addition to that, he also has one that would ban websites from uh, editing uh, speech uh, if if they receive uh, public tax dollars uh, or incentives. Uh, they would have to refund those public tax dollars and incentives if they edited out speech uh, other than speech that was an incitement to violence. Uh, so you could go on their, your school's Facebook page, for example, and, and claim that your teacher was, you know, a pedophile. And that wouldn't be an excitement to violence, really. So you could just do whatever you'd want to. And the school could not remove that comment because if they did, they would have to give back all their tax money. Uh, because that's the kind of thinking we like in this state from our lawmakers. So he didn't even have, okay, so, I mean, obviously that just sounds insane. But but I just want well, to make sure that I'm, that I'm clearly understanding this. So there's no provision in this bill for for language or statements that would ordinarily be considered libelous or slanderous? Oh, let me let me read you the synopsis here. And the synopsis pretty much what pretty much covers what is a short two page bill here. Okay, Uh, this bill would prohibit an individual or entity operating a website on which comments or posts can be made, which receives any tax abatement credit or incentive from the state or a local government from censoring speech on the website that is not an incitement to violence and would require the refund of any abatement credit or incentive given an individual or entity that improperly censors speech on its website. Well, so, And that covers it. That's so, all there is there. So that's just a lawsuit waiting to happen, basically. Oh, yeah. They're never going to pass this because people who actually know things will, will step in at some you point. You think so? And, and stop it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but because I, let me tell you, this thing will hit the floor at some point. I assume it hits the floor. It probably won't make it out of committee, to be honest. It, uh, it and um, it, if it does, it'll go through uh, the Judiciary Committee. Um, and, and there's no way Jim Hill, who's a judge, will let this thing out because Jim Hill actually thinks about things. Uh, you know, he and I would disagree on probably 90% of things uh, there. But uh, Jim Hill is a reasonable human being. And uh, and he's a judge and a former prosecutor. And he would look at this and say, get the hell out of here, man. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and although, although. I will I will happily pay five dollars to watch the video feed of Chris England, who's on the Judiciary Committee, question Chip Brown about this bill. Right. <laughs> uh, I would would be happy to watch him turn Chip Brown inside out, uh, at, which I, I fully expect is going to happen should this thing ever come up in committee. But I'm I'm going to guess that that Jim Hill never puts it on the committee agenda. So, okay, and and this thing never sees the light of day. Well, good because that's just crazy. <laughs> what else do you say? It's just crazy. It's just. Crazy. I mean, it's just. I mean, just. Uh, this is what Chip's been doing with his time. Uh, although uh, you, you, you did say he he does have one good bill, right? Yeah, I found one. Um, which again, you know, when I when I juxtapose this bill with the others we've been talking about, it makes me wonder if this is even the same person. But uh, 
but I know it is. It's State Representative Chip Brown, Republican, uh, who has uh, announced, he announced this last month, uh, yeah, last month, that um, he was, was putting forward legislation called a Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights that would provide state protections and guarantees to survivors of sexual assault, would require state agencies to notify survivors of sexual assault of afforded rights under state law. It would mandate sexual assault evidence kits be preserved for 20 years. It would also mandate that survivors not be charged for receiving a medical forensic examination and would require law enforcement to notify notify survivors of both the test results and give a 60-day advance notice before disposing of the evidence kit, and it would allow them, sexual assault survivors, the ability to request evidence kits be preserved for an additional 20 years. That is an amazingly, um, I think, an amazingly uh, well-thought-out, compassionate bill for people who are, are truly undeniably victims of a horrific crime or, you know, so, I mean, you got to wonder again, is this, this is the same guy, but. Well, you know. but what makes you wonder more so than, than, than anything is, is why we can't spend our time on things like that. I know we're not all going to agree on, on things, but surely we could all agree that these other things that I've mentioned from Chip Brown are stupid, waste of time, nonsense, crap that's never going to see the light of day uh, for the most part. And if it is, it won't last 15 minutes before a federal judge somewhere will strike it all down. So why are we wasting our time on this pandering nonsense when we could do things like he is doing with these other bills, with with the sexual assault? Why, Why are we wasting time on this? Why is somebody who obviously knows better doing this crap? I, that's what I don't understand. I don't that that's always that's what always bothers me about uh, the Republican lawmakers that we have in this state is that they spend so much of their time on pandering crap that encourages people to be stupid. That's a, the thing about the monument bills. That's a, the stuff about the pledge in in the schools and the uh, you know. I mean, who do you think are running schools for God's sake? Do you think there's a bunch of uh, anti-American people that are running the schools? Get the hell out of here! Right. You know, I mean, it just that's always what kills me. It's just pandering nonsense, you know. And anybody who takes a step back for a second and thinks about it thinks, "Why? What the hell are we doing here?" You know, and it just. That that's what always bugs the hell out of me, and that's the reason why Chip Brown's the right wing nut of the week this week is because instead of spending his time on good bills like the one you mentioned, and 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 putting up more of that and helping people, uh, you know, creating better laws for people, he's spending this time on this other nonsense, yeah. and it just drives me insane. So, all right, yep. well. That's uh, listen, man. I I hate that our. I feel like I've basically ruined your week with with what we've talked about. <laughs> David come in so happy, and within like thirty seconds, he was. I'm so pissed. What is going on here? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> man. I just, jeez, oh, you know. I gotta, Literally before we even started, David's like, "I gotta take a minute. I gotta take a minute." Oh, I'm so, I'm so mad. Oh, I'm gonna be so pissed. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm going to have to go work out after this, man. I got to let off some steam, man. Got to let off some steam. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, listen. It's, uh, uh, hopefully we made some other people angry yeah. as well. And uh, and maybe some folks will, will get behind us and uh, or get behind the, you know, the uh, the common sense movement. Yes. You know, the common sense, common decency movement. Yes. You know, that's what we ought to have. Yes. Maybe we could, maybe we could get common to write us a song. Hey. And, uh, I yeah. watched him freestyle, uh, when Brian Stevenson had his, uh, grand opening for the legacy museum and lynching memorial. Uh, I watched him freestyle mm-hmm. a happy birthday to Cory Booker on stage. So if he can do that for Cory Booker, surely yeah. he can, he can write a song or, or, or freestyle a rap for you and me. Well, I, uh, I, we need, we need something, man. We got to get this, uh, we, we got to get some common sense and some common decency back and, uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we can, we can work our way that way. But, uh, Hey, have a good weekend, uh, and a good week. And, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, just don't think about anything I said. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, will work out. Uh, I'll, I'll start right. by working out, work out the, work uh, out my anger always and frustration. A good- Always a good plan. Always a good plan. All right, that's going to be it for us for this week. Uh, Until next week, uh, we'll see you later.